Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. Welcome to it. Today on the show, I have uh, Simu Lu is here. Uh, most people know him as Shang-Chi from the Marvel movie Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And uh, no, he didn't bring the rings. I asked him uh, if he could have, but th- it was not an option. He's also from the Canadian series Kim's Convenience, and he'll be in the new Greta Gerwig Barbie movie. He just wrote a book about the story of his family immigrating from China to Canada and his upbringing called uh, We Were Dreamers. And it was a great conversation. It's always interesting for me to talk to somebody that has an entirely different uh, origin story than me. And I'm not talking about Shang-Chi. I'm talking about... Simu Lu, the origin story is different. And I watched it. I watched his Marvel movie. I watched this one. I watched the uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. It was probably the first Marvel movie I'd really watched since the first or second Iron Man. Though I've whined about Marvel movies and I've judged them and I've, and I've, and I've shook my fists at the sky where the Marvel Universe resides. But I watched it, and I enjoyed it. I think it's basically a kung fu movie. I think it's a martial arts movie. And I enjoyed the dragon. I enjoyed the specific, the specifically Asian good dragon in Shang-Chi. And it's, I also, I have Disney Plus now for research, but I realize that I can start watching all the Marvel movies. This was an idea that, was, uh, that I had maybe a year or so ago. I discussed it with my producer, Brendan McDonald, that maybe it's time that I just go through the entire Marvel movie thing. That might radicalize me. It's like intentional radicalization. Like to just watch it, like uh, like the character in A Clockwork Orange, just sit on my couch with my, eye, my eyes peeled open by a strange uh, machines, have somebody there to squirt drops into my eyes so I don't blink. And I don't dry up and just run through all the Marvel movies, all of them in order. And I will be born again Marvel. I will be a Marvel nerd. I will be that guy. So there's the risk of self-radicalization if I embark on this experiment. 
And self-radicalization in this context really looks like me saying, they're not that bad. Yeah, I enjoyed them. I enjoyed this one over that one. Didn't love that one. Not that bad. That would be the extent of it. I'm not going to be like, holy shit. You know, when when is uh, the next Avengers movie coming? When, when's the next one coming out? When's it coming out? Because I, I don't know what to do with my life. I don't know who I am without them. I need a Marvel movie to look forward to. I don't know what to do. It turned into Rod Steiger at the end. I don't know if I'm going to go that far, but we'll see. We will see. Listen, tickets to my HBO special taping at the Town Hall in New York City are on sale now. It's happening on Thursday, December 8th. Go to Ticketmaster.com or get the link on WTFPod.com slash tour. Uh, Do that. I'm excited about that. I've got to figure out what I'm going to be doing exactly and how we're going to shoot it and what we're going to, what it's all going to look like. That process is starting. I got, I got very upset. I get very upset like with the, the spiraling of culture under the momentum of nerd spite and uh, boomer rage. I just can't, you know, I don't watch Bill Maher and I, you know, I flip by it and it's right in the middle of him. Why does he have to pander so heavily to monsters? Why does that guy want to be loved by monsters so badly? It's easy to make fun of liberals. Easy. But he's apologizing for the religious rights view on abortion, hence women. His argument was that they don't hate women. They just think it's murder. Yeah, but they want to control women and every element of their lives to appease what they believe women should be. What exactly is hate? What does that look like? I got all worked up. The boomers raging against the dying of the light. Is that it? Is that Dylan Thomas raging against the dying of the light? Yeah, yeah, that rage is, you know, It's going to burn it all down. Boomer rage against the dying of the light. And I'm speaking as the last, the tail end of the boomers. Not the great generation. The selfish generation. Yahoo. Hey, man. So, speaking of aging, got an implant in my mouth. I got an implant. It's been a process. Uh, I'll share it with you. Because by the time I get it, I don't know. I don't. I don't even know if I'm going to need the fucking tooth. I don't know what that means. But I had this molar that was a root canal, so I didn't feel it as it was rotting up near the top of it. Had it come out, so I got it pulled out, and I got some bone grafting goo squirted up in the hole, stitched up. Five months later, new gum. Just a you know, just there was just a back molar sitting there by itself with a big gap between it and the next tooth in a row. I got my got used to sticking my tongue up there in that empty space. It was fun, but I couldn't chew my food properly. So phase two of this process is to put the, uh, to screw the molly into the drywall in my head. Got to put a molly in there, an implant they call them, but I think it's basically the same thing as a molly. Is that what you call them where you put that casing where you can put a screw in? Usually it's because you fucking strip the hole. Well, this was... They just cut it open up there and drilled away on local. So I heard the, I, I got the whole experience, the vibrating skull, the different uh, bits. And they screwed that fucking molly up in there, that implant. And then they put a, 
a, a plug on it, like a cap. So I got this little cap up there, a couple of stitches. Now I got to wait around for a few months. Then I got to go to the, my regular dentist. This was the oral surgeon guy. And have him craft me a tooth. I need a tooth crafted so I can chew properly. And it will not rot with the rest of my mouth. It will be the last tooth standing. So uh, that was exciting to be there at the dentist's office. The fuck was playing? There's some fuck. So there was all the real oldies playing, you know. And then disco music. You can ring my bell, ring my bell. You can ring my bell, ring my bell, my bell. Ring a ling a ling ring ring my bell Good times but it's up there uh long process so I'll learn about time because I I will avoid things in the sense that like well not avoid it but I just don't think like getting things done that take a year I'm sort of like ah fuck What's the point? But, you know, time goes by, man. It flies by as you get older, which I'm feeling. Not in a bad way. Okay, listen to me. Simu Liu has a, has a new book out. It's called We Were Dreamers, an immigrant superhero origin story. It's available now wherever you get books. And we had a nice, broad-ranging conversation. Um, it was nice to meet him, and, and it, it, was, it was fun to watch the movie. So, and I'm being honest. So this is me talking to Simu. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcast. So you're living the life, I think. I, that, I haven't seen a, someone drive up in a convertible in a long time. Oh man, uh, I, yeah, I can't take credit for it. Uh, you can't? It's a, it's a loner. It's you know, you know, sometimes it, when when you're in these positions, um, which know, position? car companies? Yeah, uh, you're. Oh, you're, you're a uh, guy. You have a hit movie, or yeah, you're yeah. a person. Yeah. Um, you know, some car companies reach out and they're like, well, if you ever need anything. And I was like, well, I've always wanted to drive a convertible. And they're like, great. And so I yeah. don't know when I'm going to have to give it back, but I think I will eventually. What is it? It's a BMW M8. Really? Yeah. yeah. And they just called you and said, do you want, want one of those? Kind of. Yeah. No. And I, and I, to, to be fair, I really, I thoroughly enjoy it. <laughs> it, it looks pretty good. You, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I was sitting out there on the porch cutting up boxes and then I just, uh, I hear some music and I'm like, is he the kind of guy that's going to. 
drive up pounding music, and there you were in the convertible. It's better in a convertible. I'm having a midlife crisis at 33. No, maybe you're just enjoying your success, as they say. Maybe that's it. Yeah. How long have you lived out here? You know, I started coming out in like... um, uh, for like pilot seasons, mm. as early as like maybe 2016. Oh yeah. But um, as I as I told you on the way in, I um I just recently recently bought a house, so, so, so it's really less than a year that I've like really had firm roots here. And even then, it's like nothing, nothing ever really shoots here. So I'm always I know that, away from it. The whole thing concerns me. That it's, yeah. It, like outside of the water running out, it's like why are we all here? Still, if nothing shoots here, I don't know. I, I don't know who lives here and who doesn't. I think there's still a community of people, but it seems like most people are splitting. Right, right, right. M- uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the moon of like Vegas. Some people I know are moving Vegas. to uh, um, uh, Hawaii. Hawaii, Vegas. I don't get, but Hawaii I can understand. Yeah, maybe it's a land thing. I, I guess, but it's there's not going to be any water in Vegas either. It's no, really no, going to come not, down to water there. Yeah. <laughs> It's like you gotta. You're gonna have to move. We're, we're all gonna have to go to some red states. That's that is very suspect. I mean, I come. I I'm a, I'm from uh, Toronto in Canada. You know, Toronto's right, obviously, right next to it borders Lake Ontario. Yeah, and and you know, just like I, I grew up around the Great Lakes. So yeah, it is. It is very ironic that I, I love Toronto. When I moved here. Yeah, I don't know why. I I just I just applied for permanent residency. Seriously? Yeah. You know, a lot a lot of people talk about it, but that's uh, no. I did it. Like it wild. takes forever to process yeah, because yeah. people. I don't think people understand that that's that that program permanent residency mm-hmm. is more like a green card. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, I'm yeah. like, why the fuck not? Like it, it it could take two to three years to process a thing, and uh-huh. by then the requirement is to spend two out of five years up there, not in a row. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I'll be ready. You know, right. if everything works well, I'll be like you know, sixty one, and like, why not? Where would you Where would you go? Do you think? Where would you Look, spend to be honest years? with you, I, I don't have a problem with Toronto. Uh-huh. I don't have a problem with any place that I've been other than Edmonton and Winnipeg. Like, I like Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I could live in Winnipeg. Uh, a Winnipeg yeah. shade. Yeah, yeah. I spent. I did like two months in Winnipeg in the middle of winter. I was doing theater. Yeah. yeah oh, I was really? premiering a play called Viet Gone in, in Winnipeg. And um, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> yeah. I hear the summers are great, but it's like two sure. months. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I don't have any problem with the people of Winnipeg. It's actually a fairly progressive, arty little place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's the weather's a little rough. It's, it's a little rough. Great. It's not great. So wait, when when was that play? Via what is it? Via Gone? Gone. Yeah, that was uh, that was the last theater that I did. Actually, that was in uh, it was in 2018, and um, I, you know, I, I read this play that I was intensely passionate about, and it was about you know Vietnamese refugees. Uh-huh. But it was such a, an interesting take on it because you know I, I feel like a lot of Americans. Uh, exposure to the Vietnam War is from obviously a very American-centric perspective. Yeah, we and, lost, and no one's happy. Yeah, about and it. and then it's you know it's all about the GI that comes into the you know comes into the exotic foreign place, right? And, Get strung out on heroin. Sure, sure, and maybe yeah. you know, and 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 so then the Vietnamese people, the the Asian people, are treated kind of like a backdrop, right? And a pro, and so Viet Gone is is a story about Vietnamese refugees, and what I really appreciated about it too is like this really interesting reversal where all the main characters who are Vietnamese spoke English, mm-hmm. but then all the American spoke like gibberish so if, if someone w- was speaking English on <laughs> yeah. stage they would be saying like yeah like cheeseburger hot dog oh yeah and and then we'd be like what is he saying we have no idea right so it really human <laughs> really humanizes the Vietnamese um, uh, refugees that's kind of funny it was a lot of fun well I thought that was what was great about the uh, the Ken Burns uh, doc on Vietnam that long you know multi I don't remember how many episodes but he really went and got the other side Mm-hmm. Of the war, I mean, he mm-hmm. talked to all the surviving Viet Cong generals and soldiers. I mean, he 
it, it was completely balanced. Right. Did and, you watch the entire thing? Oh yeah. Because I've watched parts of it, but I haven't. Oh yeah. Watched I watched the whole thing. thing. I think yeah. I got it. I think I have it. I think I own it. For whatever yeah. reason, they must have sent it to me. But uh, but I thought it was fascinating that you know that side of the story had. Yeah, I mean, obviously historians and 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 progressive journalists mm-hmm. w- w- captured it, but he like went and found them, and you know, and, and uh, some of them are still in power. The the thing that's wild to me is, I mean, I have many Vietnamese American and Vietnamese Canadian friends mm. whose parents, I mean, you think of like you know the the way that my parents grew up. You know, my parents are in their sixties. Yeah, you know, that's you young. think about the 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 way that you know many people. Who are my age and and their parents who grew up? It's like you know, you know my my parents for example you yeah. know immigrated immigrated from China but right. like some of my Vietnamese friends their their parents stories of of how they escaped war how they escaped the country how they how they got here yeah absolutely harrowing and some just the the most incredible but also the most brutal and awful stories I've ever heard and and those kids are one generation removed from from that. But I think a lot of the the people that come from war, their parents don't even mm-hmm. talk about it. Yeah. So, you know, they have to live with that. Like, you know, why is dad sad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and you're like, can't talk about Yeah, I can't talk about it. But, yeah, I mean, I you know, when I hear about Jews who, like, escape Nazi Germany and stuff. But I was just thinking, like, even, like, like, your parents come out of a China that's already, you know, very established kind of... I, I, would you call it totalitarian? Um, th- th- that's tough. I would, uh, I, I would shy away from 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 that. Yeah. Um, for self preservation, and also because when I hear my parents talk about it, this is this is the thing that I've really had to figure out yeah. lately. I published a book, you know, yeah. last uh, earlier this year. And the thing that I realized is that uh, in a lot of ways, even though I was born in China and I, and I spent my first four and a half years in China, my impression of a lot of China has been colored by obviously Western media and Western oh, narratives. Uh-huh. I'm not saying those narratives don't have, you know, validity to them. Yeah. But when I, you know, when I talk to my parents about China, they have such a very, di- such a profoundly different uh, viewpoint. Yeah. And it's not, and they don't view it as totalitarian. I think they view it as complex. I think they view it as as nuanced, and I think, I think in no way, shape, or form do they believe that their you know their home country is is perfect. But, but at the same time, I think they have a they have such a love of, of their home, right? In the way that I love growing up in the suburbs of Mississauga, you know, yeah. like nothing will ever. I do. I think that Mississauga is like the greatest city on earth, you know, objectively no, but but at the same time, I. I loved so so much of my childhood was there. All of my, you know, so, so many of my core, um, um, you know, you know, foundational memories are there. So, I, so I can tell you, like fairly objectively, that it's not the greatest city in the world. <laughs> I just, I it's just Mississauga. Yeah, have I you just, ever been to Mississauga? I have. Okay, I was just there. Okay, but I can't say that I saw the place. I shot. At a studio in I, yes, Mississauga. Yes, there's some studio space. There. Yeah, yeah, but I don't, I don't know that I would know where the city was or what that town looks like. It's just, I mean, it's um, it's it's about half an hour outside of the city of Toronto, yeah, exactly. Which, which is yeah. kind of like a, you know, it's a hub. It's yeah, it's very, it's sure. New York esque. Yeah, but um, it's <laughs> the best way I could describe it is like if you if if you took like a million people's worth of of like just um. Of like McMansions and like uh-huh. those model home developments, yeah, and and, 
It's just like it, it's just all it is for for rose and. That's rose what and it rose. is. And then like an Applebee's, right? <laughs> yeah. And a Mandarin buffet. It was a Chinese buffet that that gets absolutely yeah. slammed on the weekends, and you and you have to wait two well, hours. That's one thing I noticed about about uh, Canada is that Asian population is huge. Yeah, yeah. I think I grew. You know, we're the. Um, you know, I, I grew up being the. I think the predominant minority population. Uh huh. Um, whereas I think here in the state, it was. You know, it's just just different it felt different but but um we're fourth yeah here here yeah <laughs> sorry <laughs> keep trying you can be keep number trying. one <laughs> you know work harder yeah um <laughs> but but like what i was thinking though in terms of growing up as your parents must have i mean obviously you know china's history is vast and you know older than most mm -hmm. and there's that whole history but the the idea of adapting to uh, a revolutionary and, and restrictive political environment is something that is happening here. Mm -hmm. the, and, and so like, you, you know, to me, it, it's sort of like when you talk about your parents sort of like, well, that, that was the China they lived in. It was complex. And is that eventually as things unfold politically, like there are people that live in these states that are fascist, but they're like in blue cities and they're like, it's okay. You know, it doesn't really apply to me. You know, it's kind of interesting the way the brain works and what you can adapt to and the scope of your life. I, I hear that. I 100% yeah. hear that. I think it's, I think it's too, it's, it's very different when you criticize your own home sure. versus when you hear somebody else criticizing you. Yeah. You know, I think, I think it's like when you have ownership over something, you feel, you feel like you have a right to say, this is everything that's wrong with, with our country. This of is everything course. that's wrong with right, society right, we live right. in. And when somebody else comes in, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa hang on a second. Hang on a second. That's my, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. America you're talking about. Yeah, right, like, right, hey, yeah. that's, that's Canada you're talking about. Yeah, don't make fun of our He's fucked like, up country. Yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. Do we'll it. do that. Yeah. We'll do that. So when, the, you were four years old when you left China? Yeah, I was four and a half. So I, um, when, when I was, Shortly after I was born, my parents actually left me in the care of my grandparents to go and study um, in, in Queen's University in, in Canada. So I was raised by my yeah yeah and my nai nai until I was I was four and a half. And one day, literally, my my dad shows up at the door and is like, "Hello, I'm your I'm your dad." First of all, he had to introduce himself yeah. to me because he was a total stranger. And then he and then he said, "I'm here to I'm here to bring you to Canada." It's time. It's time. Yeah, and it was it, it was so hard for me because I was being sold on this vision of of like this utopic paradise, right? Of uh, you know everything is better in Canada. You know, you oh, yeah. have such yeah, a great sure. time in Canada, sure. and and I kept. I, I was just like, but I want. I just want to be here with your grandmother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And who are who are my only parental figures? At yeah, the, yeah. At the time, and and I loved quite a bit. How's your Chinese? Still good. It's eroding every single day. It is. Um. Yeah. I would I would go back uh, in the summer times when I was a teenager. For for like you know three or four weeks because I obviously I wanted to spend every possible moment with my grandparents as I could and my family in China, and I'd always come back from those trips like with full fluency, being able to hold a conversation, talk about you know so many different things. And yeah. Then, and then I stopped going back for for a multitude of reasons. Uh, I think I think maybe most prominent of all being. I was laid off from my job and then decided to become an actor. And so for, a, <laughs> I think a very long time, I was kind of like the black sheep of the family that nobody wanted to acknowledge. Cause <laughs> so that stopped you from going back to China? Well, yeah, um, yeah. my parents would go back and would see family and it would just be such a sore spot. I mean, our my relationship with them wasn't good. So then it oh, was like, really? it was like uh, we, we shouldn't, you know. They, so it was shame? Was just shame driven? Like, oh, absolutely. I mean, my parents are, are academic, you know, academics. Um, they're electrical engineers. Like everyone from our side of the family in China was like, this is the... You know, my parents were the ones that that that, you know, left to pursue these amazing opportunities, raised a son who, you know, 
you know, in Canada who yeah. was supposed to be like yeah. the prodigal, you yeah. know, the prodigal heir. And yeah. then all of a sudden they're like, he what? He got fired from his job and now he wants to be an actor? Like what? But you know, that's so like I mean I've gone crazy. I've talked to sort of first generation uh uh you know uh children you know of immigrants mm-hmm. who get this pressure. You know, that pressure is is insane. Like I've talked to a, a few different people who had to really fight the fight to aggressively disappoint their parents <laughs> to find personal success. Yeah, it's um you know, it's a, it's it's definitely hard. I mean, I, I now that I now that I've grown up and I look back, it's nowhere near as hard as the journey that my parents went through to to, you know, be able to immigrate, but but it's it's tough too. Yeah, it's it's tough balancing the expectations of your parents. It's tough growing up in a in a multi-generational and multicultural household where yeah. like, the world that you're participating in is very different from the world that is at home. And so sometimes your parents, you know, or my parents certainly, um, their thoughts, their worldviews, their norms were very much at odds with what I was being taught out in the world. Well, which, here out in the world, it was, I'm sorry to interrupt you, no, but no, no. it's to, you know, to, to realize yourself. Yes. Right? Oh, absolutely. Which is a Western idea. Very much so. You know, I think, you know, when you come from, you know, a, an education driven practical culture. That's exactly it. W- yeah. Where where you're expected to just work within the system mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and prosper. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a whole different mindset. And, you know, it wasn't like artists didn't exist in, in China, right? Sure. But my parents certainly weren't it. My parents, you know, have been validated. Their success has been validated by academic achievement and, and study and, you know. Yeah. And working, working hard in a very specific and structured way. So, of course, that was their worldview. That was their, yeah. their one thing that they could pass on to their kids. So you have empathy now? Yes, I do. Yes. Yes, I do. I yeah, do. And, but not we always. We worked through it. Oh, no, have... no, certainly not always. Certainly not always. But So you come here when you're four and a half, and, yeah. it, and then at some point they literally stop taking you to see your grandma? Um, I mean, that came a lot later. That came at like age 22. But but, but yeah, it was, I mean. It was like, we, we don't want the Yeah, shame. it was like, uh, we're going to go to China and you, you know, you, you just, you just stay here. We've, you, we've lost you. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> so when you first get to Canada, was there a community that they were dug into? Was there a Chinese community? There was a bit. Yeah. There were, um, you know, they, they were, my father was doing his PhD, um, in electrical engineering my mom was doing her masters yeah and they lived in like this you know um rent fixed apartment in in kingston ontario uh-huh um in in kind of like an enclave of 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 chinese immigrants who were kind of going through the same thing they were they were studying um they had come from abroad and and so that was kind of the environment that we that i spent my first few years in do you think uh, just going back for a second do you think that if you were to uh just to to misspeak about china that you'd get flack um, I think I think it's a very sensitive situation, and I and I do not want either which way to, for yeah. for my name to somehow come up in the middle of, of right. a geopolitical conflict that I quite frankly don't feel qualified to even begin. <laughs> but to it, it happened to me and Seth Rogen when we were talking about Israel. Right, right, right. It just blew up. It was like some sort of global event that yeah. Seth had uh, said what he said about uh, Israeli Jews. I, I thank that. Thank God I wasn't famous enough. <laughs> To really be part of the global conversation. Got it, got it. But he got the because he was the bigger. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I, he definitely. I understand. So I understand, I understand uh, you know that that sort of uh, th- that that self censoring. I understand that. Uh, and, and you know who needs that clickbait? 
Certainly not me. Yeah, you don't want to be the target. <laughs> so you're in uh, Ontario in an enclave, yeah. living in uh, some sort of subsidized uh, housing from the yeah, school. Yeah. Now, now, with the process of them becoming citizens, was that ever an issue? Did they ever... Uh, I mean, I don't know how that works. Do you? No. My father My father has a very distinct story, though, of when he first landed and the customs officer was asking him if he was a refugee or an immigrant. And, and I remember, I think he had said, you know... This is a trick there was, This is a big thing in the community. Yeah, yeah. I think they were. He, my dad is convinced that they were trying to to trick him because he um, he arrived first without without my mom and yeah. and he was very clear. He was like, "I am not a refugee," and they're like, "Are you sure?" Because everybody coming from China is a refugee, and he's like, "I'm not. I'm not escaping. I'm I'm here to study." Yeah, and he was very very clear about that. Yeah, and what he I think what he realized later on was as a refugee, you had very different rights. Uh huh. And um, and he he was very adamant that he. That he wasn't. He was like, I'm, I'm, I'm a student. Oh, so that was a pride thing too, in a way. So. It might, I think so. Because, so. like, uh, I guess a refugee is is seen as as somewhat a, a charitable. Like we're we have to help these people. Sure, sure, right. sure. And, and not and, and of course, like you know, I, I think I think I've been v- very. I mean, I've been very proud of the yeah. way that specifically the country of Canada has handled sure. refugees from oh, all yeah. over the world. Oh, so yeah. I, I'm, you know, I'm oh, not no, it's nothing wrong with any that. which way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just interesting that your father didn't see, yeah, he, he I, wouldn't I, see himself And that I way. think it was more the connotation of like, you know, kind of what you said, like refugee has, has shades of like, you're escaping a, a regime or you're, yeah. you're, a, you're a victim of war. Right, yeah. And he was like, no, that's not it. That's yeah. not it. I had a dream. I'm going for it. I'm here to study. Yeah. Well, I, I've talked about like in terms of Canada and, and just having some sort of you know exit plan or at least the, the possibility one was like I, I don't want it to I don't want it to get to the point where I show up as a refugee in Canada <laughs> you know what I mean I, I want to get the jump on that I understand yeah I support you in your journey to become a permanent resident in Canada I fucking love Canada now I mean I used to think it was a little boring and I'm not saying it isn't but maybe I'm ready for that <laughs> right no I hear you I hear you it's a, it's a specific vibe and a speed I um. I had to pay for healthcare for the first time uh, uh-huh. last month. Oh yeah, here. Yeah. I had to do uh and and it, and I and I have health insurance through sure. SAG. Sure. But I I was getting a checkup cuz I my my back is is hurting. I think I have like lower discs that Fuck, kind of... I have it too right now. Did oh, you yeah. go to Bob Hope? Where'd you go? I I went I don't know. I think I so it's somewhere in like the SAG system. I just told my manager to set something up. Oh wow, your manager but, did that. That's nice. But I yeah, yeah, it was very nice of him. Um but I I went in and then I and I did the thing and then, Yeah. And then they're like, that'll be X amount of dollars, please. And I was yeah. like, oh, don't I? I thought I had health insurance. And they're like, oh, no, it's a copay. Yeah. I was like, a yeah. copay. So I'm paying a deductible. Sure. To get a check. Yeah. And I was like, that's wild. And I pulled out my wallet for the very first time <laughs> in a clinic. I, yeah. Because I can't stress this enough to all the, all the American listeners out yeah. there. You don't do that in Canada. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, that and, and it must be sort of jarring. You know, welcome to America. Don't get too sick. <laughs> it was very jarring, and it kind of colored for me the way that I mean, it, it indicated to me the way that the way that healthcare is just viewed here. Yeah. Right? You try to push it as as much as you can before. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm know. not saying that our healthcare system is perfect by any means, but it's like it's certainly you have regular it. regular checkups are like a thing because you're like even if even if you feel fine, like you need to you need yeah. to go in go. Yeah, well, that's a uh, well, that's I, I look. I mean, I don't know. I mean, uh, I've heard it characterized negatively by Canadians and Americans in that, like, well, you got to wait, you got to do this. Like, who cares? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I, I mean, on some level, I mean, I think that in, informs the entire culture of Canada in a way. Just to have that taken care of, even if it's not great, mm. is what a load off. Mm. 
to just know you can go to a doctor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 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 to be and you know it's not all medication, but certainly like life saving medication, cancer treatment medication. I mean, that's not anything that you. It's not even a thought that occurs of like, how am I going to pay for this? Right. It's like how many, how many American crime TV dramas? Yeah. About the father that has to, that has to turn to a life of crime because he can't pay for his sick family members' hospital bills. Like, how many of those would never exist in Canada? Yeah. It's like we watch we watch Breaking Bad and we're like, okay, that's a great show. Yeah. Objectively, but, but like, what? The, the the core premise of that show just would not sure. exist. What civilized country would <laughs> yeah. let that happen? Yeah. <laughs> Here. Um, so when you start growing up there, uh, what was the, how, how quick did the expectations start to manifest? I would say, I would say as soon as school started, yeah. as, school, as soon as school started, I stopped, I would say I stopped feeling like a child that was allowed to just kind of be free and and play and and discover yeah and i became like an almost like an athlete i was you know i was like being pushed except instead of you know basketball and t-ball yeah like math and how how were you with those things i would say i got off to a pretty solid start i was i I think by first by first grade i was doing long division long multiplication like i you know i yeah I was always the kid that was doing like the work that was a couple grades ahead. Well, because your parents were doing it at home with you. Yeah, yeah, they mm-hmm. were they were doing it at home. They were bringing homework. You know, I was doing. Yeah, basically, I was I was training extra hours. <laughs> and uh, and then you know a funny thing happened. You know, I, I think I was very happy to please them, but a funny thing happened is that is that my balls dropped and I went through puberty. Yeah, and I started to you know I started to realize. I think about like around the time like fourth or fifth grade, people just like social hierarchies start yeah, to form. Right. Like if you think about first grade, second grade classes, yeah. like everyone's just kind of together. Right. But once you like start to form hierarchies, you start to have some sort of recognition of like who the cool kids are. Right. And I just knew that I wasn't it. Yeah. And so I was like, well I kinda want I kinda want that. I kinda want someone to tell me about social norms and hierarchies and how to just like be cool and make friends. And, yeah. And um, well, that's where you like, have to you have to be friends with a cool kid. You gotta be friends with a cool kid and you gotta <laughs> and you know, you gotta like you know, you, you're going to be able to hang. Yeah, I don't exactly. think my parents fostered those skills in me. <laughs> the hanging and I think skills? Every time I asked them about it, they'd be like, why do you need, why do you need, you know, just your job is to study. Don't waste time with, don't waste time with that. With friends? With friends, with, you know, and, and I was going through, I was, you know, having crushes on girls. I yeah, was yeah. like, I, I, and nobody to help me navigate these things. So I started to really pull away from them and really reject their worldview because I was like, I don't, I don't want that. I don't want that. And that, that was kind of the cause of a lot of conflict that arose in the teenagers. Interesting. Because do you think that's fundamentally Western? The idea of going through puberty or? No, the idea <laughs> of, of seeking out that, you know, that lifestyle. It, it seems like that's got to be, you know, it just, that seems like a standard, just strict parent thing. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I look. I haven't. I haven't been in school anywhere else. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, right, right, right. No, I, I'm just wondering. Like, yeah, I imagine that in China, there's definitely cool kids, and you know, I would think so. And parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But but just being with those parents that that are hanging the future of their name, and, yeah, and no, and that's very true. And the and the I uh, and what they feel culturally is important. Yes, yes. Is an extra added pressure. It's not just having strict parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's sort of. Like, do you have brothers and sisters? I'm uh, no only child. Oh only my child. god. Yeah, ex- yeah, very much exactly. Oh my god, the disappointment possible. The the most amount, if you if you imagine, <laughs> yeah, 
the moment that I I kind of came out to them as an actor. Oh, one of the one of the oh my God. probably one of the worst moments of my parents' lives. All right, so when you start pushing back though, you're not you're not, but you're not you're a good kid. You're not doing drugs or anything. Yeah, no, I, know. I guess not. I guess not. And and the I rebellion have, um, was limited to like you know. No, it I'm, was I'm, like video games and uh, yeah. sports. Okay. And, yeah, no, no, I never. Sports I, is a rebellion. That's it. yeah. No, I, I for whatever reason I was never like too interested in in experimenting with drugs, and now yeah. I'm kind of now I kind of like I don't want to say I regret it, but I I sometimes wish that I had like dropped acid once or twice as yeah. as a young as a younger teen or yeah. as a an early college guy. You but, can actually do that now, and 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 a lot of uh, uh, new you know, hipsters are doing it for. <laughs> Just to, they think it's good for your brain once or twice a year. Right, right. Once or twice a year. Sc- scrub it out. Do a little uh, microdosing. I would do like one time. Yeah, you can do it. Just Book make sure you're hanging out with, the, with my friends. Yeah, with the right people. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. You got friends who exactly. help you out and <laughs> you're comfortable with. <laughs> I'm sure my publicist did, did not expect this conversation <laughs> to turn into. That's all right. It's um, a human conversation. So. Uh, so when do you start to drift for real? When When do the fights start? Um, it, it would definitely be high school. So, I mean, I had tested into this uh, private, um, you know, academically oriented high school, mm. University of Toronto schools. Yeah. And um, so <laughs> so serious about its academ- academia that it, it's literally called the University of Toronto Schools. Yeah. Um, like the best of the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and so, you know, my parents were now, were now paying for my education Um and and I think that came with like even more expectation. But but I, you know, really relished that because I had to take a, a train and a subway to, to get there. It was, it was a little far away. Yeah. I actually really relished the freedom. So I took that as an opportunity to like make friends, hang out, be social, right. whatever. You're and, away. And for my parents, they're like, oh, what the hell did we spend all this money on? And oh, so I God, think that yeah. the, the yeah. urgency and the anxiety of that really manifested at, at that time. And that's when things got violent. That's when they were physical. Violent? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean. You know, with your dad, name me both, both, and, and I think most immigrant kids will have some sort of idea oh, of what sure. that what that feels like. But but like what, like with uh, cooking instruments, hands, <laughs> cooking instruments, hands, <laughs> um, and you know, the absolute worst thing was 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 trying to take a day off school, like trying to be sick. It was like you know, now it's inconceivable in the age of the pandemic. Yeah, it's like when if you're sick, stay home. But, yeah, um, but yeah, I was burning like. Uh, burning like a, like a 99 or 100 degree fever and they'd yeah. be like get your ass to school you're fine right you know go infect all the other kids right you gotta go you gotta go study oh my god so does it reach a boiling point i i feel like it did it at many points but then um you know then i we still had to keep going you know there was there was a time in my junior year where i had to uh I ran away from home for a week, but I like did the door. It was like the dorkiest running away ever because I stayed at different friends' houses every day, but I still showed up at school and I still did my homework. So yeah, it wasn't like it wasn't like I ended up in an underpass. Like, right, you were you with were a just, syringe attached to me or anything. Exactly, you were still honoring their desires. Sure, I, I think what it was is like even even in my deepest rebellious phase, like I still couldn't ever divorce myself from their vision of success because that was the only vision of success that I had. Their expectations. Yeah, and I didn't have any model of, of anything different. Like, I didn't know any young actors. All of my sure. friends were, like, along that path. So I was like, well, I guess that's the only thing I could do. So Even did though, you follow through? Did I, sorry? Did you follow through with it? 
I went to I went to school at the University of Western Ontario. I studied finance and, and accounting, mm. and then um, out of graduation, I got a job at Deloitte uh, Deloitte and Touche, which is which is one of the top four accounting firms in the and world. And your parents were excited. They were, I think, excited slash relieved just because they obviously it had been such an acrimonious few years, and so um, I think they were just they were just really. They were like, oh, finally, the job is done. He finally made it. He did it. We can rest now. We delivered a kid. We delivered a kid that became a contributing member to society. So you were doing no acting during high school? No, nothing? No, no. I wasn't like a theater geek. I mean, I loved movies. I loved going to the movies, but I guess I just never felt like, innately, I never felt like I either, I could, I never maybe gave myself permission to participate in that space. But when were you started to do the athletics? Um, pretty much as soon as I, I could, uh, pretty much as soon as I could, once I started being able to stay out late from school and, and realizing that my parents couldn't do anything about it. Right. And, but when did you like, you know, like martial arts and stuff, right? Um, yeah, I know, I know a little bit. I know a little bit. I I would say a childhood thing. No, no. I, I definitely begged my parents to put me in karate when I was a kid and they were like, no, that's stupid. Really? Don't, don't do that. They uh, couldn't even see the importance of, of learning healthy competition in a physical way. Uh, they put me in, uh, to be fair, they, we compromised with soccer. I, I know. Oh, okay. I, I think they weren't, they weren't, um, feeling the martial arts, but you know, I obviously that like, growing up as a, as an Asian kid loved Jackie Chan movies. And so I was like, right. I want to, I want to be that. <laughs> um, never quite got the chance in high school. I started break dancing, oh. which again, completely different thing, but it's like a, it's like a body awareness thing so i think there are transferable skills you still got it uh, I, uh, a little bit a little mm, bit yeah. we got the bad back you know how, what's going on with yours because mine's f- fucked up and i don't even know how i fucked it up mine is like um like i used to be like a jumper so i used to play a lot of a ton of basketball volleyball and yeah. and I, I don't know i just feel like the lower discs have just kind of gotten a little swollen or they're rubbing up against each other you so got now, hernia you got a hernia I don't think so. I had an X-ray done again in the in at, at that time where I had to pull out my wallet and yeah. pay for healthcare for the yeah. first time in my life. Um, but I, I had some X-rays done, and and I I don't think um, like a herniated disc was detected. It wasn't like crazy serious. It wasn't like an operation thing. But it's it's just whenever I play sports now, maybe about half an hour, forty five minutes in, I'll, I'll start to feel it, and then it just gets kind of progressively worse. Uh, how old are you? Uh, thirty three. Oh, you're alright. So. Yeah. <laughs> Like I got this thing that I don't know. I, I don't. I think I did it sleeping. Right, 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 right. And I don't know what the. It, it just that's happened. the. That's the worst is when you hurt yourself doing nothing, nothing at all. And I'm physical, and I'm just like I woke, and now I'm just sort of like, how long am I gonna have to wait to start climbing and doing shit? Sure. Because I like because I'm on the road. You got no control over your bed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You take the bed that's given you. You take the bed that's given to you. <laughs> yes. By the best Western or, exactly. or or best available. Sure. So, all right. So you're in. You're in accounting. You're in. What is it? A gray building? Is it horrible? Is it like you know? Yeah, I'm in. I'm working on Bay Street, which is the Canadian Wall Street. It's in. It's in Toronto. We're in suits. Uh, we're in suits, a shirt and shirt and tie every day. Kind of. Um. You know, I lived. I lived just up the street. So every day, I kind of took the elevator down and I joined this like zombie walk of everybody going into their cells. And, yeah. And and doing their jobs and. Um, it was it was it was a rough time for me. I, I picked just about the worst, the worst job, in terms of like personality compatibility. I was like, I you know looking back, I'm like oh, I'm clearly a creative. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, oh my god, so were you like it, depressed? 
I was very depressed. I was very depressed. I would like lie awake in bed in the mornings and I would just wait until the last possible second before leaving. And really just like every day was like, it's a battle of wills just yeah. to be able to walk myself to the door yeah. to get dressed. It was, yeah. it was really, really painful. And and I thought at, at, up until that point, because I also had felt that way in class and in all learning, you know, up until then, I just thought that was who I was. Like, I thought I was just a shitty person. I thought I was lazy. I thought I was undermotivated. And then, and then, you know, crazy thing happened is I got laid off and I was devastated for some reason, because even though I wasn't engaged in the job and I hated it, I still felt like it was the death of something. It was the death of something that I'd worked so hard to build toward. But then, you know, when I started in this, in this acting journey or in this, you know, show business journey or whatever, yeah. um, I saw this, like, I became this totally new person. I became the person that got up in the morning Excited. and, like, flew out the door. Yeah. I became the person that checked Craig's, Craigslist. You know, every single, I, I basically left no stern, stone unturned. I just wanted, I wanted every possible opportunity. I was so hungry. So it was like the bottoming out of your parents' expect. You were on, on, you were sort of, like, got out from under your parents' expectations, not, on, but by no choice your own really mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah like I, it's like the choice was made for you and you're yeah. like okay so like what did they do uh well i hid it from them for as long as i could how long was that it was about three or four months oh so you got a little you got a little wiggle room. i got a little head start yeah and i, and I had a, i took my severance my severance check from deloitte and i invested it in a set of headshots and uh and then living expenses for the next little while yeah and then i i literally like i i signed up to be an extra on movie sets uh, no acting classes and uh eventually eventually oh. but you uh, just wanted to be part of it i just wanted to be a part of it and i didn't really know any acting like i had no access whatsoever it was just a all smoke and mirrors yeah. totally opaque industry right right you had no idea yeah. how anyone even gets to it, it. exactly yeah. exactly but then you know you show up to one set and you make some friends and, and they're like oh you should go to this class or you yeah, should check yeah. this out and so that was i was just learning by doing every single day yeah and then and then i was lucky enough to book like a national commercial and that was the moment where i was like oh if i don't tell my parents they're going to turn on the tv one day and they're going to see me what was it for it was for uh Bell Media, which is kind of like a, an AT&T T-Mobile. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, small business commercial. Uh-huh. And you had a speaking part? <laughs> I did not have a speaking part, but it was, it was I think, a very great exercise in improv. I played this, like, really bit, you know, I, I played a business owner through all stages of of the business, right? So, like, in the beginning, taking the lease. Yeah. You know, looking looking at the store and being like, wow, we oh, did right. it. And then it's like, oh, pick, business is picking up. So, I've got a phone. I've yeah. got a phone tucked on my shoulder. And then I'm, like, directing somebody else. I'm like, oh, hey, no, put that here. Things yeah. are so busy, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, Bell, <laughs> let us help with your small business solutions. Things are so busy. <laughs> oh, it's amazing I'm pulling this off. Uh, all right, so you told him. Yeah, I told him. And... Um, and and I think in the beginning, actually, they were quite sympathetic because they believed that it was just like a weird manic phase that I was going through. They were know? sympathetic for like your acting thing. Or, yeah, they or... were. They were like, "Oh, he's clearly going through some stuff right now. He's gonna take. He's obviously going to go back into the workforce at some point. Right. So hey, l listen. You know, you you take some time. Right. But then you know. Oh, thank God it was. You didn't have anything to do with quitting. Right. The fact that you were laid off probably they enabled them to have some sympathy. Some sort of sympathy. Oh, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then and then I think as time went on, they were like, "Oh, he's re he really thinks he's he's, <laughs> he's, he's going to do this." And that's when things got tense again. Now, like when you say tense, I mean, at that point, what power did they really have over you other than the expectations? Well, we had bought a we had bought a condo together. 
when which your parents the, the, the agreement yeah which the agreement was that we would be we would you know pave the mortgage together mm. all of a sudden i was unemployed couldn't pay the mortgage and so you know they they were they were effective like they they did help me out in in that they didn't you know they didn't they didn't charge me an exorbitant amount of rent mm. i was paying very very little um and and i think the, the really the, i think the power over me is just that like they they just made me feel like I was, I was throwing away everything that they but, had. But at that point, you're invested. you're a big kid, so I imagine the yeah, physical sure. abuse and whatnot stopped. No, it wasn't. It wasn't the fights. It was. It was just like you know, it was just passive aggressive, passive aggressive talks, and oh. you know, I remember one dinner. I, I tried to go home for dinner, and I didn't yeah. even make it like ten minutes in, and I was like, I have to, I have to go. And to, to be fair, at that point, I did think that things were about to get about to get violent. Um, with who your father mostly my my mom oh. my mom my, my father i mean i mean they both were but um my mom had a way with words i mean she's first of, I, I need to preface she's an incredible woman so smart and hardworking. And, yeah. and if you read the book and we were dreamers um i have this entire chapter dedicated to her it's one of yeah. my favorite chapters in the yeah. world um it's one of my favorite sorry it's my favorite chapter i've ever written mm. anyway and um but she has such a way with words and a way to twist the knife and uh <laughs> so she's uh she's a firecracker for sure yeah it just like just uh uh just uh ex- just kind of like blow through everything that you are sure get right sure, to the core sure, sure. right to the core oh yeah that it's like it's like i r- i rue the day i ever had you kind of level of, of sure sure like of just, savagery how do you so and that's and that shame's built into you Right, that you feel that, mm-hmm. right? It's a voice you've had to deal with in your head your entire life. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. that like any time that you want to do anything outside of the purview of their expectations, you had to deal with that shame. Yes. Hmm. What I what I what I ultimately I think what was what was the prevailing thought for me during this time was who I was becoming was so important. That I actually, I, that overrode any sort of intense feelings of shame or filial piety, um, any desire to like assume the family duty or or keep the family face. I mean, I actually think that if I if I had had a better relationship with my parents, it would have been harder. But we had fought so much over the course of my teenage years that. I, there was really no relationship to salvage. And so I was like, you know what? Screw it. I don't care. To to your point, Mark, it was like, you don't have any power over me anymore. So I don't care yeah. anymore. And what is so important to me right now is is the person that I'm becoming, is this is this like creative, this hardworking person. Like I really felt like I was coming into my own and yeah. where, you know, that feeling of like I, when you're right where you need to be, it's like you come alive. Yeah. And I was coming alive. And that was more powerful. That was, that was the most important thing. Oh, see, that's great. That's great because it doesn't always have to go that way. Yeah. You know, some people break, you know, and whatever happens, happens. But like, that's amazing that you had, they definitely planted in you some sort of uh, stick-to-itness. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Because I imagine in, in the book, you have to sort out, you know, these things that were once negative to you in terms of qualities that you have or that mm-hmm. they taught you, they become positive if you sort of apply them to what apply you apply them directly to what yeah. you do. Yeah, I think the fallacy in my parents' logic was that they worked so hard to for their next generation to have all of the opportunities that they didn't, and then they turn around and the and had the expectation that they would that the next generation would do the exact same thing that they did. Right. 
But, um, you know, obviously people, people don't work that way. And then the other thing, too, that I only realized very recently was yeah. that the decision to leave China, my parents were working at that time. They had graduated. Um, they had graduated from school. They were working in China. They had careers. Was that it was actually the the ultimate like risk was to was to throw that all away and to immigrate to a new country where you didn't speak the language, you didn't understand the culture. And and you didn't know if you were going to get a job or not, right? You know, you're, you're basically they were they were like redoing their education in the hopes of landing something, but that none of that was guaranteed. And so right. people must have thought that they were crazy too. Sure. And so that that was kind of that that made my journey feel so, you know, so so small. But also, I, I was like, oh, I literally my parents did this. Yeah. That was their immigrant dream. So yeah. this is my version of that dream. Sure. And I'm entitled to that dream just as much as they were. Right. It's a, theirs was like really an immigrant dream and yours is sort of a dream of, of self-actualization mm-hmm, where, where mm-hmm. you know, you can do what you want to do mm-hmm. and, and be, you know, successful at it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because even if you were to do, the, if you were to, to, to become what they, whatever they thought you should become for the family and the expectations mm-hmm. is that, you know, there was something you said about like this just to do exactly what they did, mm-hmm. which is limited. Yeah. Right. So now here you've become more than they could have ever expected. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're driving a free Beamer. And, <laughs> you know, then uh, my parents would love that it's free. My parents will. I will. I will say, Dad, if you're listening, I did not have to pay for it. A convertible. It's a, it's a convertible. It's great. <laughs> but I mean, I, I imagine that uh, that whatever were was there a begrudging appreciation of your success initially there was a begrudging appreciation of my of my work ethic and i think that started before i booked you know the marvel role before i booked the sitcom kim's convenience i i was on a show called uh, blood and water in canada where i played a, a pedophile murderer but that's a story for another time and uh and but, but i i also was a was a chinese character so i had to speak a lot of mandarin and my mandarin was not great so yeah. i i kind of roped my parents into uh into running lines with me and we were shooting in vancouver so i was in the i was in the hotel room late at night running lines with my parents running, running lines with my dad and and i think it was through that process that they finally started to see oh this dude takes it seriously like he's not you know i, I think their worry was that i was being fed a pipe dream of like oh i could just i could just sit there or i'm like you know i, I take yeah. a couple of nice headshots and then i'll just all of a sudden be discovered and i'll be in a they were like oh he he is recognizing how much work this actually takes and, and also he's ready to put it in oh that's interesting so they were able to appreciate the work it takes yes yes they were like you know I, I, and i think i think with familiarity too i think it breeds some sort of empathy they you know they, they just had no idea how the, sure. the film industry or right. the show business like the, uh, right neither worked. did you who the hell and, knows and neither did i but but i was starting to i was starting to make head, um headway into the into the industry and into my so they were like he's really serious about he's this really pedi- serious about pedophile murderer yeah so, like if yeah he's gonna, if, if this means so much to him <laughs> that he gets this right maybe maybe there's no getting him back <laughs> um, but I I do think that was the that was the that was the turning point that that really set the stage for our reconciliation because if it was as easy as oh you're you're a Marvel person now yeah you yeah you're fine we're proud of you now I don't think I would have accepted that like yeah, I think I would ha- hold a lot of resentment true, in my heart that would have taken too long. For sure, for sure, and it would have, you know, it, you know, it wouldn't be unconditional love by any means. No, it no, it would just be they had no choice, right? Right, I, right. I, I oh, guess, yeah, no, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I guess you did it. 
Um, <laughs> no, but so okay, so you do the commercial, and you and then you know they you you come out as an actor. Mm-hmm. So, but how fraught was the relationship until what? What was the first thing you got? It wasn't Kim's Convenience? It was this other series. Yeah, it was it was Blood and Water. That was the the first major one. Before then, it was it was really like two years of. Uh, you know, it was like Joe Jobs. It was like Spider Man at kids' birthday parties. It oh was my God. handing you, out dog you dressed food. Up? The, you I dressed, dressed up. I dressed up as Spider Man. How was that for you? Um, you know, some some days were better than others. Some days you'd have like a really angelic kid, and and you'd be like, oh, that was really that was really sweet. I also took it, by the way, to to be like an, an exercise in in performance as well, because I had, you know, I, I was so you really leaning. I was in Spider Man. I was like, yeah, you know, I, that, that's a crowd. That's a crowd that were I were doing the moves. I was doing the moves. I was doing like the backflips and stuff, and and the. Oh, you can do all that. So when did you learn all that? Uh, basically, when I was when I was break dancing, when I was trying to be trying to be that cool. So that's kid where all that's where all the physicality happened. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. You, you kind of self taught gymnastics, self taught gymnastics, like stage combat, stunty, you know, stuff. All um, through break dancing. Uh, through yeah, break dancing, like parkour. I don't know if you're familiar with parkour, but I. What is that? It's um. Have you it? ever see people like running across rooftops of buildings? Oh yeah. Like I never really got there, but it was, it was it all on... about like you know free movement and right, and, right, and just jumping precision over precision and jumping and flipping. You and, did all that and all of that. Yeah. Were you doing it for on on TikTok? No, we missed that. I missed the TikTok. I was too young. I was too old. Oh, so none of that. You're, none you're of not, that. And, and, and also, by the way, not as good as some of the people on uh, TikTok now. Everyone's just yeah. incredible. I see all like, kinds of people doing crazy shit. Totally crazy shit. Wild. On yeah. rooftops, jumping. There's a lot of people that just hang off of balloons. Right. Hot air balloons and drop. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, there's that. There's people that go on rooftops. You know, you ever see the Russian videos of people that go on rooftops and then they like go out to a beam and then we'll do like pull-ups on the beam. Yeah. People have like legitimately died doing that. Cause yeah, I, I assume. I always wonder what the ending of some of these TikTok videos are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so so you, you learned all that and, and what, so you started doing that type of work before you got the series? Doing like sort of uh, stunt stuff or? Yeah, I was, I think I was just trying to do whatever I could. So I yeah. was, I had a stunt coordinator, Tommy Chang, who had, who gave me a shot, you know, on a set for the first time. I was, uh, I was trying to teach myself how to produce and edit and, and, you know, write and do mm. post. So I was signing up for all these like little film intensives and collectives and also joining playwright, you know, um, you know, uh, theater companies and, and, joining playwright workshops yeah i was just doing everything I, it was like a shotgun blast into the industry i was just sure. like it, everything all the time so you're doing theater too huh yeah because because i didn't want to i i didn't know where i would end up right really i, I would have loved you know i really do feel like i'm living the best version the best case scenario of yeah. that but i think equally as fulfilling if i didn't get this role or if, if the acting thing didn't take off i i would be I would be something else, but I'd be in the industry. Sure. Oh, oh I see. So you just l- love the industry. Yeah. On yeah. Some level. Yeah. I, my friend used to ask me all the time, "What's your plan B?" And I was like, "I don't have a plan B. I just have an A one, A two, A three, A four, and A 5 Oh, that's good. But there's no plan B. Yeah, that there isn't a plan B. But I yeah. like that you were able to, you know, have an A spectrum. Yeah, <laughs> an A spectrum exactly. <laughs> but what? Uh, so. What was it like in Canadian television? I mean, Canadian TV, like I used to make sort of a half joke about how I think that if you hang around within the world of entertainment in Canada, that eventually you will get your own show. <laughs> that that it, it, you can make it happen easier than you can do it here. Mm. But what was casting like in terms of, given that you know Asia, the Asian community was so large, was there representation that was you know not... Uh, uh, limiting? Mm. Uh, yeah, I would say hard no. 
Hard mm. no. There was not the Asian representation did not exist. I, I think what was out in the world is very different than what was being put forth in in media. And and to a, to some degree, I feel like this that was the case in in America too. Is like there were Asian Americans in America for you know that we've been here for over a hundred years, but um, you wouldn't know it watching right. watching the films and consuming media or or when you see the Asian characters they would really be like the really the same two people they would be running a, a laundromat or a restaurant they'd be heavily accented yeah um, that's not the I mean that's not the people that I grew up around though those people were not f- represented at all right and uh, it's definitely the same in Canada I would say I would say I would say it's a small market and a small system and a lot of a lot of times oftentimes um, what those systems result in is the same people getting opportunities over and over again. And it was very much the same production companies, the same right. showrunners going from one show, that show getting canceled, really like, I don't want to say failing upwards, but definitely, in Canada. definitely failing laterally and getting more opportunities and more opportunities. And, and it's really, it, it can be really tough to break in, in that, in that kind of environment. Yeah. But, uh, but a little show called Kim's Convenience did come along and it was based on a, a play written by Ince Choi. And when it was a play at the Toronto Fringe Festival, it, just it you know blew away all expectations it a theater company had picked it up had toured nationally by the way when when ince was first pitching the play to all the major theater companies around the country all rejections because none of them were asian um no sorry none of the 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 artistic directors were asian none of them could see what this play was right and it wasn't until the people saw it and built it up and blew it up that they finally started to believe in it yeah right so then the play was mounted around the country and then optioned into a TV show, and uh, and that's how that's how I got my my break. Really. I remember hearing about it like yeah. it was a big deal. Like in all show business, it was a big deal. Oh man, yeah. What I mean, year was that? It was uh, tw- 2016. Was the first year that we that we shot and and came out. And in the first season, it was really just. I mean, we were on the CBC and nowhere else, so nobody outside of Canada could could watch it. Legally, yeah, at least. But. Uh, but after after that, in our in our second season, we got picked up by Netflix, and then all of a sudden we were in, like overnight, we we're in like a hundred countries all over the world, and it wasn't like we were like Riverdale, like it wasn't like we were Justin Bieber like level fame, sure. but but certainly it blew us all up in a way yeah. that we had never we could never have imagined. Well, I think that when you have you know the the full spectrum of 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 Asian culture mm-hmm. feeling a lack of representation. If there's mm-hmm. any that is, you know, modern, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. And represents, you know, any you know, diversification within the community. Yeah. They got to be like, oh my God. It's like a drop and, of water in a desert. It's like, right. oh my God. Thank right. God. Yeah. Thank goodness. And that, that was the feeling. I, I remember even watching Kim's convenience for the first time on stage as a play. Yeah. Um, how transformative of a feeling it was watching what was my life being played out not just seeing asian people but the story about the intergenerational conflict about the father and the son who were struggling to reconcile struggling to understand each other yeah uh, the you know the father with slightly accented english but but you know the son that was you know doing doing his i mean it just it broke me on a such a such a visceral level and i realized that up until that point my relationship to theater was very much like going to a museum and being like oh this is nice yeah right shakespeare or sure. like, this is you know <laughs> right right okay right. that's yeah. what a what a nice thing yeah what yeah a, you know history what, history but i didn't realize that art could be participatory I, I didn't realize that art could speak to my lived experience and really it was because i had been starved starved of that kind of representation my whole life so that i, I think in that moment it clicked for me that's what i need 
but that's a different type of institutionalized, not necessarily racism, but mm. but kind of. Yeah, it's you know, uh, yeah. I mean, that word is thrown around so much. I mean, but, it's, but it's definitely institutionalized. It's, institutionalized lack of opportunity or understanding. Institutionalized or, ignorance. Maybe there you go. That's it. Maybe yeah, it's just you know, and no, sure. none of those none of those decision makers ever had an, an Asian friend that, that right. Right up, and you know, and and it's wild because they're like it's. I feel like I'm seeing. That's one of the most amazing things that's happened over the last decade or two. Mm -hmm. Is just that this, you know, this surge of representation. Mm -hmm. It's exciting. Mm -hmm. It's exciting for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I just did an episode of Reservation Dogs, and it was so oh amazing, amazing to be on a set with Native Americans Mm -hmm. who have never had. That kind of freedom of expression mm-hmm. and, and that and to to sort of approach the 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 modern version of what native life is like it's, mm-hmm. it was like it was exciting i was Absolutely. I was thrilled to 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 not have anything to say and just do the role and be impressed as an old white guy <laughs> that something amazing was happening culturally you know i I hear that I think it's so it's it, i mean I, I I hope that everybody has is able to feel that in some way, shape, or form. And and I know there's still, you know, there's still minority populations or or maybe marginalized groups sure. out there that don't feel that way. And and certainly, I'm not saying by any means that as Asian Americans, like we are where we need to be either. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely we we always want more. We always want more ownership over the stories that we tell. You know, and 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 more accurate representation and better representation. But but certainly, yeah, I think it's. Well, you know, I, th- I think it's really easy to get cynical when when representation and diversity just start 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 to get like tossed around and thrown around and and right start right to right. Well, it's lose not sense of what that actually means. Yeah, but. well, that's true. I I could see that, and that it's not quite. It, it's we're not done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that you know that there's still a way that there needs to be some sort of balance of representation that mm-hmm. that honors the world that we live in. Mm-hmm. But I th- still think there's been a tremendous success in. In sort of uh, uh, of kind of uh, integrating and and making uh, fiction more diverse. So if if somehow it can actually have an impact yeah. in the real world to to sort of create connections yes. among people. We'll see. You know, I I don't know. <laughs> I think um, I mean I, I think I have to believe this being an actor. Yeah. But I I really I think the power of stories, fictional or non-fictional, it, it, it I mean it, it has the power to to just transcend boundaries and cultures and language and it has the power to inspire people and and to show people what's possible and i mean the amount of parents that i've met who have said that they're you know shang chi has like affected them and their children in such a profound oh, way oh yeah i bet well, well like, that that i mean I, that was the first marvel movie i've watched in like a decade by the way i watched oh, it for you and <laughs> yeah and but not because I, i'm just not the guy that watches them but uh-huh. even, but that movie was a special movie not just because of representation but it's fundamentally uh, a kung fu movie really <laughs> right i mean in the way that it it, it is of a a type uh-huh. it's it's more that it's more of an asian experience than it is a marvel movie like it seems to me that all the symbols and the story and everything about you, you know the the combat and 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 mm-hmm. and and also you know where it takes place mm-hmm. yeah, i mean mm-hmm. those things have been existing in asian film and asian culture for in film for mm-hmm. as long as there's been asian film and in asian culture for thousands of years yes. they, all, everything in there is completely familiar yes to to any generation of of, of chinese person i would yeah, imagine yeah yeah um i hear that i would say i would say the film is definitely a celebration the celebration of our culture and our and our lives 
I would, I, you know, I, I might disagree that it's a kung fu movie. Is that wrong? Is that inappropriate? To no, say no, it? it's not inappropriate. I, I, I think I, I, I think about this a lot. I'm like, is it? A, maybe did, say, did say martial a, arts. Did film? I do a kung fu movie, or did I do a martial arts movie, or did I do a coming of age, or did I do a coming of age story with with homages to martial arts and and oh, okay, and, sure, and kung okay. Fu and I think that's that's what I thought going in because you know I, I genuinely believe that if it was a kung fu movie, I wouldn't be cast. I'm not. If if kung fu is like the be all and end all of like what you wanted Shang Chi to be, yeah, I'm not your guy. No, right, right. I, no, like, of I'm, course, of course. Oh, yeah, no, I understand that, but, uh, but you, but I mean, structurally, yes, the, the Marvel story, you know, you whatever yeah, yeah. the the. Uh, it, it, from my understanding of it, mm-hmm. is like you know how yeah. If this is your origin story, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know everything around it. You know mm-hmm. even like you know for whatever reason it's you know the the rings. Mm-hmm. You know is 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 a fairly somehow or another even that rings is as as specifically Asian to me. Oh, interesting. The number of rings. You know the ten ring. Like I don't know what that is or where that came from. I get Thor's hammer uh-huh. and I get like uh-huh. and I get some other stuff or whatever the the spider bite business. But there just seems to be some sort of ancient history to rings that seems. Uh, well, what do I know? I don't know. I was hoping you bring them though. We did, yeah, yeah. No, I would have. I would have loved to take them from set. Um, but you know, they're pretty. They're pretty tight about that sort of thing. Sure. Um, you know, I, I really did. I think I went into it thinking about thinking about what I what I wanted the movie to be, and I think I wanted it to be a superhero movie. And I want. And I think Destin wanted it to be a superhero movie uh, with with a very specific cultural perspective in mind. Uh huh. Um, but but I th- you know I think and I hope that that there are universal themes that play beyond just like oh this this feels Asian, which it does. Which of it course, totally but, uh, does. But but also, but you know, it is exactly the same story as mm-hmm. Kim's Convenience. <laughs> <laughs> and it's ex- similar. And it's exa- definitely similarity. And yeah. it's exactly your story. Yeah, yeah. Down to even like you know, I, I know we talk a lot about the traditional Chinese, you know, iconography and 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 aesthetic. But there's also like the very real aesthetic of like two Asian American, you know, twenty uh, somethings growing up in San Francisco and yeah. going to karaoke together and like parking cars out and parking cars. And I think that's that's so much of of my life is is in that and my characters in yeah. that. So we were able to I think encompass a, a a a very broad kind of sense of and really it's the only it's the type of like specificity and nuance that you get w- when you have a filmmaker like Destin who is Asian American who understands and it's also this is very important also a phenomenal filmmaker yeah. is that he was able to imbue the film with all of this nuance and and these different character perspectives that you're like oh yes they, they, this does feel Asian, but it also feels specific. It feels like these characters each have their own, you know, their sense of identity and motivation and and where they come from. Oh, absolutely. Very specific. And I just love that, like, you know, you're just a regular kid, but you have this eternal father who you don't get along with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he just comes back into the picture with his expectations. With his expectations, yeah. Uh, not great, but you know you're going to make them better. Yeah, the yeah. expectations. You know, you use the power in a different way. And sure. I, and I was talking to my producer today about how this huge chunk of story is almost dropped in passing. You know, which is that you know this this forest you know kind of eats people, and you know, there's a <laughs> there's this there, there's this gate to a mountain, and behind that is this giant yeah, uh, yeah, dragon yeah, yeah, that's yeah, going to yeah. eat souls and take it. Right, and right. it's like it happens in three lines. It does. It does. <laughs> but, it feels it, it feels MacGuffin-y sometimes. No, but I don't know. It's not though. Because <laughs> Because like you know, I've you know I've never been a comic book nerd, but I I think there are people that 
uh, either get comics or they don't. Mm. There are people that can read them and effectively have the experience of the stories being told from those mm. panels mm. And, and process it immediately, or mm. they don't. Mm. And I think that one of the things, at least in this Marvel movie, that it honors that, mm -hmm. that you can drop that kind of information if you have a brain for that kind of stuff. You're like, no problem. I get it. That's the mountain. There's the That's wall. That's the mountain. There's yeah. The, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah, And it was, not, it was and, and also, like, the other thing I loved, and I don't know if it's... Uh, if I'm being, uh, uh, you know, racially insensitive, but I, the the good dragon was a specifically Chinese dragon. Oh, interesting. Like like the way it was, it looked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That like you know, and I said, to, and I again, it's like I recognize that dragon from uh -huh. soup bowls. You know, in Chinese restaurants. I love that dragons have ethnicity, but I think they totally do because they yeah, there's there's not. It's funny that they're all dragons. Why do we call them? <laughs> so like, why do we? Why do we call them dragons when they're so different? Like the Game of Thrones dragon, but like a medieval dragon. But even the one in the in the, the in the in the mountain in the, in the mountain is yeah, not. Yeah. It didn't strike me as an Asian dragon. Right, right, right. right. It just was just a general menacing, horrible dragon and the little soul eating things. Mm -hmm. Like I like that, all that stuff. But it seemed like the good dragon was like I recognize that from. From Chinese festival festivals, mm -hmm. yeah, is that possible? There's oh, absolutely. Well, there's a lot, a, a lot of the creatures in in Talo in that world were based off of, um, were based off of of Chinese mythology. So yeah, the, the Chilin, you know, the firebirds, the nine-tailed yeah. fox, and the yeah, and the dragon, and even Morris, that little headless kind of chicken butt-looking yeah. thing, is based on a. I'm blanking on the name right now, but is based on a, a, a very wise Chinese um, mythological creature. Oh wow! So yeah. that's. Totally honored it. Like I imagine, all generations yeah. of Chinese people were like, "Holy shit!" And and fr well, well, frankly, I did not know any of this going in. Yeah, I wasn't like, "Oh yeah, that's the Chilin." Sure. Um, but now, but now I do, <laughs> thanks to a really, really incredible uh, VFX artists. At, at that, I see that attention <laughs> to detail being specifically, um, you know, culturally identified is kind of amazing. So what? Mm -hmm. So the uh, the feedback has been like, you're an actual superhero. I would imagine to Asian kids. Oh man, I don't know how that makes me feel. I mean, I, yes, I think the feedback has been has been really incredible. I think, um, you know, I, I I think and I believe that that superheroes have a, a very special, you know, a very special part of they they take up a very special space yeah. in this world. And and I think you know, I think the kids growing up today will grow up differently because they have a superhero that represents them mm. because the, the, because I know growing up I when I turned on the TV I never felt good about myself sure. I never felt like I I exist I always felt kind of invisible and I and I always felt very limited in in what I believed was possible for myself right sure a lot of my my narrow kind of viewpoint of success was based off of my parents because I didn't have anything else to model after sure if I maybe if I had seen more first of all more working Asian Canadian and Asian American actors that would have changed things if I had seen stories featuring Asian protagonists in America or in Canada that yeah. would have changed things if I saw a superhero that looked like me that would have changed things sure I mean it's the same with uh, Black Panther as well mm -hmm. it seemed yeah. to have a similar effect and um, what happens when you make the next movie with this guy? Mm. Well, I think we're I think we're trying to figure out what exactly that that next movie is going to be. And I also, you know, you know how it is. I yeah. have to be very careful about what I say. Sure, but I think there's, you know, I think obviously he's got a future. I think it's a it's obviously a shared cinematic universe, and, right? Um, and, and are there are there Chang Chi comics? There, there are, there are. And he's an established being, guy. He's an established guy. He's been around for a while. He was made in the in the 1970s. In oh, the, okay. In the height of the uh, you know kung fu craze, and mm -hmm. he he, <laughs> those early comics were I won't say they're 
problematic. I, I would say they're not great right. from a representational standpoint yeah, yeah. because they were not written by Asian people. Mm-hmm. And so didn't, f- f- you know, in, in doing research for the role, I obviously went through some comics and I was like, huh, I don't know if I like this. <laughs> and I, you know, went to talk to Destin and he's like, yeah, no, 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 we're doing something totally different. And you got to work with all these great, like uh, Michelle Yeoh, is Michelle that Michelle Yeoh, it's Tony amazing. Lung. Yeah. And those, they've been around forever. And they've they been around get, forever and yeah. are, are, are legends yeah. in, in Asian cinema. Michelle, yeah. I think, has crossed over into Hollywood and, and is now having a full-blown moment of her Amazing. own yeah. with uh, everything, everywhere, all at oh, once. Yes. And I'm just such an, a big fan of her. I, I could not tell you how happy I am that she's getting her comeuppance and getting yes. all of these accolades that she she's deserved for, for so long. And, yeah, and Tony, yeah. of course, is you know that was his first kind of foray into Hollywood, but he was... Uh, an art house cinema icon. Yeah, you watched him growing I, up. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Infernal Affairs, Trunking Express. Um, you know. Yeah, great. And you get that um, amazing opportunity to work with these people. Very intimidating. Very intimidating, especially because going up against their resumes, I was at. I felt like I was at a literal zero. Um, but I think you played. I, I think you must have felt you were playing a version of yourself in a lot of those. Very scenes. much so. Very yeah. much so. Yeah. yeah. And that the emotions of it were genuine. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And what what is this uh, this Barbie movie? What is it, man? It's uh, it's 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 wild. I mean, have you seen it? I have not seen it. We just wrapped on it. Okay. Um, Greta Gerwig. But she's it's great. Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach. Yeah. And then and then of course Greta. They Gerwig. wrote it. Uh, they wrote it, and she's directing it, and then she's directing it. I can't understand what it's even. I can't even understand what it is. Yeah, yeah. I don't even want to like give too I'll, much I'll away because the wait. buzz, the buzz that's out right now is good. I mean, I mean the the fact that they went on, uh, they went on the Venice Boardwalk with those outfits, yeah, and the rollerblades, with Gosling and and Margot I, I just uh, Robbie. Love that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't know, I don't know how much I want to say. I don't know how much I'm allowed to say, but I will say it was the, one of the best scripts I've ever read. A good experience, yeah, and a phenomenal experience um, working for yeah again just like a, a transcendent director yeah such a strong vision and so smart and intelligent and subversive and um, I think it'll I think it'll surprise a lot of people because I think a lot of people get cynical when they see like Mattel yeah or yeah they see yeah, Barbie right, right. But, but truly truly without giving anything away the first the first thought that I had after reading the script and finishing it was like. How the hell did they get Mattel to sign off on this? Right. Because this is not the kind of movie that that like corporate overlords sign off on. Right. This is the type of movie that I love yeah. unabashedly and and that it's smart and it's and it's subversive and it's meta yeah. and it makes fun of itself but like how do they how did they understand it enough to greenlight it and and you know I think that's props to to not only Greta but also to to you know Margot Robbie and Tom Ackerley. Who who you know produced who produced it and shepherded it you know every step of the way that they're able to really fight for that original vision. Yeah, I'm excited. The story is. Um, I'm excited. But it's 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 special. Oh, and great! I think it'll be special. And in and in closing, how did uh, how did your parents react to the book? Um, well, they were very involved from a very early stage. I knew the story that I wanted to tell, and I knew that I couldn't tell it without them. So I was very upfront. I was like, I want to tell the story of of you. I want to tell the story of me and I want to tell the story of us. And I was very clear. I was like, I'm not yeah. out there to air out dirty laundry, to be vindictive, to say, Hey, see, this is how you treated me. How dare you? Yeah. It was like, let's, but let's, let's not shy away because our culture is so much about saving face and, yeah. and presenting well. Right. I'm like, let's not do that. Let's present an honest 
snapshot of what our lives were and where our conflict came from so that families can read this and and see themselves in it and choose a better path and right. choose empathy and choose to have those conversations that we were never able to have. Right. Um, and I think they, you know, I think they they first at first were were very on board, and then I they read my first draft, and they were like, "Oh God!" And so they had a moment of like, "What have we done?" But then at the at the very end, you know, once once we got it to 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 yeah. the publisher and and it was out of their hands, they were like, "No, this is really." They had some sense of like, "This is really important," and and great for them too because they've they've come a long way and have really kind of acknowledged, taken account accountability for. And have gen- expressed a genuine remorse over over you know things that things that were said, things that they had done, and mm. you know at that point I think I was I was so ready to to move move on and move past, and um, I'm very very happy with where we are today. That's a great story. Thank you. Thanks for talking, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. There you go. That was a, a full arc of a life there it was a nice talk the book is uh, we were dreamers and you can get that wherever you get books it's out now and uh you can go watch the marvel movies but you know they're not struggling you can you don't have to rush out it's going to be okay if you wait on that and please wait to uh look just hang out a minute so listen, people, if you missed out on last week's Ask Mark Anything episode for full Marin subscribers, you can get it as soon as you subscribe. I answered a lot of the stuff you probably don't know. For example, did my cats almost kill a guest? Yes, actually, they kind of did. Almost. Have any guests had severe allergic reactions to the cats? Yes. But it's weird because they were never in the garage. But Ed Helms had such a severe allergy... Go find that. If you're listening to this, you can listen to all of them. Go listen to Ed Helms. I almost let that guy die. I don't think I took it seriously, but it was pretty terrible. Uh, it was pretty bad. I feel bad about that because I just I was like I really wanted to get the full hour in, and he was like having a hard time breathing. Some people are, are allergic, but not so allergic. There's never been a cat out here uh, in either garage, really. But some people are so allergic that it kind of like maybe through the vent system it happened. Subscribe to The Full Marin on WTF Plus for more bonus content, including future chances to ask me anything. Go to the link in the episode description on whatever podcast app you're using or go to WTFPod.com and click on WTF Plus. On Thursday, I talked to Whitney Cummings. We had a talk a long time ago, uh, back on episode 106 in 2010. She also did two live WTFs, episode 24 and episode 576. So if you have a uh, WTF Plus subscription. You can listen to all those episodes before the new one with Whitney on Thursday. I'm coming your way, people. Tucson, Arizona at the Rialto Theater on September 16th. Phoenix, Arizona at Stand Up Live on September 17th. Boulder, Colorado at the Boulder Theater on September 22nd. Fort Collins, Colorado at the Lincoln Center on September 23rd. And Toronto, Ontario at the Queen Elizabeth Theater on September 30th and October 1st. I'll be in London, England at the Bloomsbury Theater Saturday and Sunday, October 22nd and 23rd. I'll be in Dublin, Ireland at Vicker Street Wednesday October 26th 
I have dates in November and December in Oklahoma City, Dallas, San Antonio, Houston, Eugene, Oregon, Bend, Oregon, Asheville, North Carolina, and Nashville, Tennessee. And don't forget my HBO taping at Town Hall in New York City is on Thursday, December 8th. Go to WTFPod.com slash tour for all dates and ticket info. Links. There are links. Now I'm going to do some Raga blues.